This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee, coming to you from Wurundjeri Land, and this is The Full Story. We're here today because my friend Violet Coco is in prison. Just over a year ago, Violet Coco climbed onto the roof of a parked truck in the middle of the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Violet and I were both involved in a protest on the 13th of April in which we blocked a single lane of traffic on the Harbour Bridge for 25 minutes. She stood holding a lit emergency flare which billowed red smoke, sending a message for urgent climate action to the long line of cars which were ground to a halt and the cameras which captured her protest. Coco was arrested and pleaded guilty to seven offences, including obstructing traffic, resisting arrest, and setting off a distress signal that was categorised under the law as an explosive. And then last week, New South Wales magistrate Alison Hawkins sentenced Coco to 15 months in jail with a non-parole period of eight months. The magistrate reportedly described Violet's actions as selfish, but Violet's actions were anything but selfish. A deep desire to protect the community was motivating Violet that day. This sentence raises the stakes for what protesters are risking in New South Wales. And it comes as similar laws threaten the right to peaceful protest in other states around Australia. Environment editor Adam Morton on the criminalisation of climate protesters. It's Thursday, the 8th of December. So, Adam, tell me about Violet Coco and the climate protest group she's a part of, Fireproof Australia. Violet Coco is 32 years old and she's a dedicated climate activist who has been taking her concern about the climate crisis out onto the street and into the public over a long period of time. Originally, she was a member of Extinction Rebellion, but more recently, she's been a member of Fireproof Australia, which is a group that really sprung up following the Black Summer bushfires of 2019-20. I'm here with Fireproof Australia, and we're undertaking some civil disobedience to bring attention to an emergency that is occurring as we speak. Last year, she was involved in a protest outside the front of federal parliament where she set fire to a pram, which was empty. And in April, she was arrested for obstructing City Westlink, which links the city to the southern suburbs. And then the following week, she was arrested on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. All right, well, here we are. We're on the Harbour Bridge. We're blocking the traffic. Hi, I'm Violet. I'm here as a supporter of Fireproof Australia. Two people down there calling to Floodproof Australia. Uh, They're glued onto the road um, and uh, they will be here to uh, defend our beautiful country. Which prompted significant disruption and outrage from members of the public and the police and the New South Wales government. Hefty fines and jail time is being used to fight so-called economic vandals, shutting down critical infrastructure. So in response to these protests, the New South Wales government rushed through 
a bill which introduced tough new penalties that significantly increased the punishment for non-violent protesters that disrupt Sydney infrastructure, including roads, rail lines, tunnels, bridges and industrial estates. Under the new laws, you can be fined up to $22,000 and jailed for up to two years uh, if you're found guilty of one of these offences. And it took just two days for the bill to be passed through the parliament with the support of the Labor opposition. So what has the New South Wales government said about why they introduced this law? The government argues that the laws are necessary to prevent disruptive protests that cause inconvenience for people. And it's obviously an effort to try to deter future protests of this type. There are plenty of ways to protest, but shutting down major infrastructure is not one of them. Attorney General Mark Speakman said the state government was on the side of climate change action, but wouldn't stand for a handful of anarchist protesters who would wish to bring the city to a halt. Uh, We're not stopping uh, nurses marching in Macquarie Street, assemblies outside Town Hall, assemblies in George Street, rallies and so on. But what we are stopping, or criminalising even further, are protests that shut down major economic activity. And the Acting Assistant Police Commissioner, Paul Dunstan, said that... What I will say, the behaviour of this group was nothing short of criminal activity. Expect a knock on on your door. We will be coming for you to be arrested. But there was also a strong blowback against the law and there were many people who criticised it. 40 civil society groups described the laws as draconian and an attempt to criminalise the democratic right to protest. Adam, Coco has a non-parole period of eight months to serve, but if she doesn't get parole, she's looking at a 15-month jail term for blocking a lane of a road, which seems pretty steep for what was a non-violent crime. Look, we should note that sentencing is a really complex exercise and it is difficult to compare cases and say which is fairer or less fair. And there are a number of factors that magistrates and judges have to consider to make these sorts of decisions. It's not an exact science. But we can say that this is an unprecedented sentence for this sort of offence. And I think that there's evidence that there are a range of crimes that many people would consider more serious that did not attract that level of jail sentence. And what did the magistrate in this case say about why they were imposing this sentence on Coco? So according to the reports, the magistrate Alison Hawkins told Coco that she knew what she was doing was illegal and that she knew that she would be arrested and that there would be consequences. She was told that she'd let an entire city suffer due to what the magistrate described as an emotional reaction. She was also accused of engaging in a childish stunt. The magistrate also said that Coco was not a political prisoner, which is something that some people have claimed, but was a criminal who had broken the law. So Coco is the first person to be sentenced to jail time under this new law. But there were also other protesters there that day on the Harbour Bridge. So how does her sentence compare with the kinds of penalties that other protesters are facing right now? Another one of the protesters who was on the bridge at the same time as Coco, a guy named Jay Lavalestia, has been before court and he did not get jail time. He glued himself to the road on the same lane that was being blocked by Coco. It was his second conviction under the new laws and he didn't get jail time for either of them. For the first case, which was relating to an earlier protest, he got a community corrections order. And for this particular protest, he got a more serious intensive corrections order, which gets served in the community. It's not nothing, but it's not jail time. 
So it's fair to say that Coco's case significantly ups the stakes. Coco was also refused bail, which means she'll have to stay in custody until her appeal happens in March next year. What do you make of that? Look, many were surprised by this, given that it's for a non-violent offence. And a lawyer, Mark Davis, was very strong in his language about the magistrate's decision. He said it was outrageous that Coco was refused bail while she's waiting to launch her appeal and described it as extraordinary and said it, it, it always happens unless you're a violent offender. And that's why Coco is now appealing the decision to keep her in custody until her appeal against the sentence is heard next year. There's been a strong reaction from the environment movement more broadly to Coco's sentence. Uh, Members of Fireproof Australia and other supporters protested outside New South Wales Parliament on Monday against both her sentence and the laws, which they think are deliberately targeting climate activists. Violet is a force of nature in the climate movement. Therefore, someone for the state to make an example out of. One of the protesters was Jay Labalestia, who I mentioned earlier had taken part in the same action on the Harbour Bridge as Coco. We, as Violet's friends, as activists, as members of the community, we demand a just outcome for Violet and an end to the criminalisation of protest. Give it up for Jay. Thank you, Fireproof. And... There has been broader concern raised too by human rights activists and officials both in Australia and overseas. Clement Foulet, who's the UN's special rapporteur on the freedom of association and peaceful assembly, took to Twitter to express alarm at the prison term and bail refusal. He said that peaceful protesters should never be criminalised or imprisoned. But the New South Wales Premier, Dominic Perrottet, wasn't really having any of this on Monday when he weighed into the issue. It's not excessive. And if protesters want to put our way of life at risk, they should have the book thrown at them. He said when asked at a press conference that he applauded Coco's sentence, described it as pleasing to see. We want people to be able to protest, but you should do it in a way that doesn't inconvenience people right across New South Wales. And he said it was a warning to others against taking part in protests that inconvenience people. This New South Wales law is currently being challenged in the Supreme Court of New South Wales. Tell me more about that. So two climate change protesters are arguing that the the measures that were introduced earlier this year fundamentally undermine their right of political communication. The legal challenge has been fired by the Environmental Defenders Office on behalf of Dominique and Helen, the two mothers who live in uh, fire and flood affected parts of New South Wales on the far north coast and members of the Knitting Nanas, an environmental activist group, who have, among those who've expressed grave concerns about these laws. And they were also at the protest on Monday. There's also been a push within the union movement to try to force New South Wales Labor to commit to changing or reversing the laws if they're successful at the state election in March. So the bottom line is we're seeing challenges to these laws on multiple grounds. We're seeing a constitutional challenge through the courts and also sort of a rearguard movement within one of the major political parties to try and have the laws changed after the next election. So, Adam, it seems as though the New South Wales government is drawing a line in the sand and saying that while protests are welcome, protests that are this disruptive 
are unacceptable to the broader community. But on the other hand, there are these concerns that effectively these laws silence people who are nonviolent protesters who are simply calling for greater action on climate change. How do you balance both of these together? I think it's complicated, but where I land is that I think it's a bad day for democratic expression in Australia when a protester can be sentenced to this length of jail term and locked up without bail for this sort of offence. And I think it'll have spillover effects, not all of which will be immediately obvious. There are a bunch of key questions here that aren't really being acknowledged or considered by parliamentarians when the issue is raised. They include whether redefining lawful dissent is consistent with Australia's reputation as a liberal democracy, which you might think is a a really important issue that should be being discussed here. It doesn't tend to be, but we are seeing laws across the country shifting significantly to limit protest and, in some cases, existing legislation being used to restrain or intimidate people who speak up about climate change and other environmental issues. Next, the rise of anti-protest laws in Australia. Hey, Laura Murphy-Oates here. When I've got a long bus journey or a lazy weekend morning ahead of me, I love reading a long, beautifully written feature. But I feel like I always find them by accident while endlessly scrolling the internet. If you have the same problem, we've got something for you. It's called Five Great Reads. It's a newsletter that we're relaunching. And every Saturday morning, we'll send five immersive Guardian reads from across the world. You can sign up right now by visiting the Guardian site or searching for Five Great Reads. Okay, bye. Adam, you mentioned earlier that this New South Wales law is just one example of new anti-protest laws that we're seeing in Australia right now. What else is happening around the country? So in addition to what's happening in New South Wales, we've also seen laws passed in Victoria and Tasmania this year to crack down on protesters. In those two states, the changes were specifically targeted at people blockading logging in native forests. Activists say, and I think rightly say, that we're clearly seeing a shift across the country to limit the rights to protest. So are these anti-protest laws around the country actually going to be effective at deterring what governments call disruptive protests? Could they have a chilling effect on them? Look, it's possible. Certainly, some people will be deterred by the prospect of going to jail for taking part in a protest. Others won't, though. We'll almost certainly see more protests, as they always do. Activists will find creative ways and potentially inconvenient ways for people to make their points heard. One of the things that doesn't get acknowledged in the political debate around this sometimes is that these are highly motivated people who are feeling desperate about what they see with significant evidence behind them as the world's failure and our political leaders' failure and businesses' failure to address the climate crisis. Fireproof Australia are taking some radical steps that would annoy some people, but they're not doing it without actually also thinking about what they believe is necessary to deal with climate change. They're not doing it just for the hell of it. They've got a platform where they argue that a number of steps should be taken in Australia that aren't at the moment to help people respond to inevitable climate change that we're already seeing. They include 
getting a permanent fleet of air tankers based in Australia to fight bushfires, to have smoke-proof schools, and having an immediate plan to rehome flood and fire survivors. And the case for that seems pretty strong after the year we've seen of the horrendous floods across the country, particularly in Lismore in New South Wales. Now, introducing draconian penalties aren't going to deter them from their arguments and the need to feel like they have to take direct action to get the message across. I think the evidence is out on whether this sort of direct action that inconveniences people that you want to persuade actually works. But that's not going to make it stop, right? We can have that argument, but it will continue. And we can't wish the climate crisis away. Okay, that should be going. Um, so, uh, look, uh, h- hello, nice to meet you. I'm Royce. Hello. I'm Violet. Royce Kermelov, a journalist who writes for Guardian Australia, actually spoke to Coco earlier this year for a piece that he wrote on Fireproof Australia and groups like it who are taking this sort of direct action. We are basically a group of people who are community leaders who've done the research on how nonviolent civil disobedience has worked in the past. And she told him why they block traffic and why groups like Fireproof Australia will continue to block traffic till the climate emergency is taken seriously. We tried protesting to the politicians, um, we tried one day marches, and so now we need to escalate to these disruptive tactics um, because, uh, yeah, basically we are like sounding the alarm, we're an emergency signal to the population that, um, that you know, if they do not act now, the window to our livable planet is rapidly closing. That was Adam Morton, Climate and Environment Editor for Guardian Australia. You can find his column reflecting on Violet Coco's sentence at theguardian.com. It's called, Wherever You Stand on Violet Coco, Her Jailing Raises the Stakes for Climate Protest. We'll also post a link to this on the full story page. And if you're worried about Christmas this year or you're unsure about what to do if you or someone you know gets COVID or another illness, we want you to send your questions in. We'll get an expert to answer. Leave your question and your name and number in our full story voicemail on 02-8076-8550. This episode was produced by Karishma Luthria, Miles Herbert and myself. Sound design and mixing by Joe Koning. Full Story's executive producers are Gabrielle Jackson, Molly Glassie and Laura Murphy-Oates. I'm Jane Lee. Catch you next time.